A statement is made by the Apostle Paul in the book of Titus, and that statement will introduce our study tonight. I'm in Titus chapter 3. Listen, please, verses 1 through 7 in Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, this passage takes us from some very bad realities to some very good things. It takes us from some very bad realities to some very good things. The bad part is the condition of people in sin before being saved by Christ. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. And then this phrase, hateful and hating one another. The good part of this passage is the kindness and the love of God our Savior, so that by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, the sinner can be justified by grace. Now, let me take us back into the bad part of this, the vivid descriptions of sinful conduct. One phrase in particular at the end of verse 3, hateful and hating one another. In the ESV, hated by others and hating one another. Isn't that miserable? To hate others and also be the object of the hate of others. Shared hatred, living in hatred, a culture of hatred. It's miserable. You cannot conceive anything good out of that. You cannot twist that around to anything that is positive, healthy, and valuable a culture of miserable hatred that's being shared. Hateful and hating one another. It is a pathetic condition of human beings. Let's take a few minutes and think about hate and haters. There are so many in the world today who live and die by hatred. Expressions of hatred are heard and seen almost every day. The media puts hatred in the spotlight. Social media spills over. Social media is, uh, you might say, baptized in hatred. There are people who hate the truth, who hate good deeds, who hate good people, who hate good influence, who hate people they disagree with, who hate people who are different from them. I know you are aware there are people who hate Christians, people who hate America, people who live 
and die by the creed of hatred. The message of the New Testament is there is a better way to think and live. Jesus Christ personifies everything that is the opposite of the common hatred of men. He shows us by his life and his death the other end of that spectrum, the better way. He teaches us the virtue of compassion, the activity of love, the good function of mercy and grace from the Father toward people. And perhaps you heard that in the passage in Titus. First, the reference to the hatefulness of men, and then the remedy expressed in these happy terms. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, and in verse 5, his mercy followed by his grace in verse 7, the contrast or the difference stands out. The hatred of men, which can be forgiven and defeated by our reception of the kindness and the love of God our Savior. Would it be of value for us to address the subject of hatred? I believe it would if we use the Bible for our study. We're going to do that. I want to begin by making four brief observations about hatred. One, ignorance doesn't justify hatred. I've heard this remark about people who are hateful. Well, they're just ignorant. Well, that's probably true, but no excuse can be found in one's ignorance to be hateful. A man said to me one time, I hate computers. And I said, why is that? He said, because I don't know anything about them. Is there any sort of logic in that that's to be recommended? In fact, it may express self-centered arrogance to hate what you don't understand, to be malicious toward a person because you don't know them. It is expressly immature and unworthy. No need for me to belabor the point. You can see this. Ignorance doesn't justify hatred. Paul said he persecuted Jesus ignorantly, but he never argued it was right to hate Jesus. You can read what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.13. In fact, Paul's teaching was, though we may be ignorant, our ignorance never justifies bad behavior. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Two, often the hater suffers more than the hated. Strange the way this works, but to let malice and hatred find a home in your heart is to set yourself up for misery. Hatred is just not a happy state. Hatred is a form of self-punishment. The hater suffers more than the hated. We were not made for hatred. The mind God gave us was not designed to hold grudges, to harbor malice and to hate. The mind God made for us was designed for love and peace and obedience and reverence to him. In the King James, James 5 verse 9 teaches, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. 
Behold, the judge standeth before the door. I had a Sunday school teacher who would quote this passage and tell us, get rid of the grudge before you face the judge. Number three, human hatred is not the same as divine wrath. We ought not to confuse the two. Here is something people may claim when attempts are made to defend their malice. God got mad and punished people, so I get mad and punish people. Oh, but you're not God. Those are two things that bear no similarity. The wrath of God is not the same as the prejudice, the vengeance, and the selfish immaturity of men and the punishment that men may take upon themselves arrogantly. The wrath of God is the perfect outcome of his holiness, his justice, his legitimate displeasure against evil. To argue that our hatred is justified by the wrath of God is to dismiss the difference between the divine and the human, the supreme and the ordinary, the good and the bad. Listen to this in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, verse 20 well establishes the difference between the ordinary common wrath of man and all that goes with that, all that's packaged into it, and the perfect righteousness of God. Therefore, I should never dismiss or excuse my hatred by any appeal to anything about God. Number four, my response to those who hate me should be as directed by Jesus Christ. This may be hard for us, may be harder for some than others. I'm going to go to Matthew 5 and read verse 44. You've heard it before. Matthew 5 and verse 44. You've heard it before. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This may be hard, but this is not a gray area or a complicated debatable point in Matthew 5.44. When I discover that someone hates me, I do not have a whole range of optional responses. Jesus tells me to respond in one way, love the hater. Beyond that, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That is such a challenge. It is not, however, impossible to act this way, to do what he says. If I'm determined to be his faithful disciple, if I'm committed to obey him in all things, this is what I will do in response to those who hate me. So hatred has nothing to commend itself. The Bible is clear. Grudges, malice, ill will, hatred are attitudes that show immaturity, do us no good, and put us in opposition to God, disobedient to Christ, and resistant against the teachings of the Holy Spirit written in the Word. Now, there is what I'm going to call a holy hatred, sometimes called righteous indignation. Unlike ordinary human malice, this is like divine wrath. 
Now that we know the kind of hatred that displeases God that we must study to avoid, there is something different we need to consider that might be called holy hatred or righteous indignation. I'm going to refer to, you can jot these down, maybe pause the recording and uh, turn to them. Psalms 119, 104, and 128, and Revelation 2.15. God doesn't give us an option with regard to our response to false teaching, for example. Occasionally, someone will say to me in so many words that they have no interest in controversy, that they don't care about the reality of false teaching. I say to you, you don't have that option if you're going to follow God's word. When God's word is misused, twisted, misrepresented, and misquoted, we cannot take a neutral stand. We care because God, our Father, is being subtly challenged, his word discounted, his way distorted. God hates false teaching. Why would our attitude be any different? Psalms 119, 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. No, you don't go out and shoot the false teacher, but you hate every false way. Verse 128, therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. Do you see being committed to what God says is right involves being opposed to what God says is wrong? Christians today should say, I hate every false way. Revelation 2.15, God spoke, uh, Jesus spoke against the church at Pergamos because they didn't hate false doctrine. Jesus said, I did, why didn't you? Here's the verse. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. We ought to hate what God hates. Listen to this carefully. When Christ is opposed to some doctrine, we should be opposed to it. Not with malice or violence toward people, but with clear and bold opposition to every false way, asserting what the truth of God really is. Further, I'm going to say to us, as a child of God, I should hate evil, because God hates evil. The passages here are going to be Amos 5.15, Proverbs 8.13, Psalms 97.10, and Romans 12.9. False doctrine is just one form of evil. As a child of God, I should hate every form of evil. Amos 5.15, hate evil. Love good. What a simple, reasonable command. Hate evil. Love good. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Psalms 97.10, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Such beautiful simplicity, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Now, uh, this is not about punishing evildoers and ignoring them or adopting any self-righteous tone toward them. This is hatred of evil. Uh, evil. Romans 12 and verse 9 teaches, abhor what is evil.
I'm going to give you another example before I conclude. As a child of God, I should hate lying. Psalms 119-163. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. My feeling about lying should match God's feeling about lying. If I take a dim view of lying, but I'm not as strong against it as God, that's a measure of weakness. That makes me vulnerable to that sin or to dismissing that sin in others. Not immature malice, but a healthy opposition to lying should be a part of my character and your character. So I am forbidden by the authority of Jesus Christ. I am forbidden to let any attitudes of malice enter my heart. Grudges ought to find no home within me. Prejudice, motives to personal attacks against people, hatred, all forbidden. What is required of us is a holy hatred, a righteous indignation toward all that is wrong, all that is displeasing and offensive to our Father who is in heaven. What is necessary is to let the Bible train you on the subject of hatred, We ought not to let the events of life and our emotional reactions govern us and take us away from the basic heart content God expects us to have. We ought to be a people devoted to God in all our thinking, all our speaking, all our actions, all our reactions. We are loved by God in Christ with such grace and mercy. Our response of faith, should be forthcoming. Thank you for listening.